Hi guys, welcome to Belief Alchemy with Megan O'Neill. Every week I'll be sitting down to interview visionary women who will teach us how to have a more magical mindset and to create greater possibility in our lives and in our business. Hello and welcome to Alchemy with Megan O'Neill. I am very excited today to have a very good friend of mine on and someone who has helped me tremendously in my marketing. Welcome Susan Diaz. Hello. Hi. Hi Megan. Thank you for having me. So excited to chat. Yeah, you're doing well this morning. Very well. Yeah. So just tell us a bit about you. On the work front, I own and run an agency, a digital marketing agency, sort of focus on creating content for people and effectively trying to answer the question, how do you get marketing to work for you? And on the personal front, I'm a mom to an eight-year-old. I live in Toronto with my husband and my daughter. We moved here about 10 years ago. We're immigrants to the country. And I think you forgot, which I thought was really funny, is when I first met you, your company was named Carrots and Peas Digital Marketing. And now it's just CNP. Is that correct? That's true. That's yeah. true. It was called Carrots and Peas. And it's an interesting story why it's called that. Because I had a blog. It was a food blog for several years. And the name of the blog was Carrots and Peas, like P-E-A-C-E. And when the time came for me to sort of incorporate my business and decide what it was going to be named, I just hadn't thought about it at all. I hadn't thought about what to name the business. And so I was like, I don't want to name it after myself. So the nearest thing is, let me name it after my blog. And so that's what I did. So for years, it was fine. It was a good conversation starter. People would ask why the, yeah. Yeah, why the business was named that. So up to a certain point, it was, it was good. It got some clutter and gave me many interesting chats. But then I started to work with more large finance companies and then it was making them uncomfortable. <laughs> it was too hippy-dippy and weird for them. And in more than one meeting, we noticed that people would ask us to introduce ourselves <laughs> instead of introducing us. So then we did a little bit of research and we're like, perhaps some rebranding is necessary. So it was more sort of like, you know, customer, it, it, like sometimes we say marketing comes from what your customers want, right? So, and that was kind of an organic example of it. It just shaped itself into that thing where we're like, great, if it makes you uncomfortable to say my name or my company's name, then it's my job to be like, why? And then explore a little bit. So we kept the heritage and so called ourselves C plus P, which is carrots and peas. But now yeah. we're and you've got so many incarnations in your life. You have yeah. lived in many different places. We were talking about this earlier, that you've been around the world, but you're originally obviously from India. Mm -hmm. And you grew up in Africa for a while. Yeah, I lived you in lived in the United Emirate. Yeah, I lived in the UAE, in Dubai. I lived in the Sultan of Oman. I think I might actually be at a point in my life where I've lived outside of India for longer than I've lived in India. So but, you have been really almost like a lifetime immigrant in some ways, and then yeah. decided to become a Canadian a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, we came here first 10 years ago, and we made some choices about how to best financially handle it, because the immigrant journey is never easy. It's like, you know, coming here and getting the jobs that you want and sort of finding the life that you want takes a little time and investment. And so we came here, we did what we were meant to do to sort of set ourselves up. And then we took some time off whatever we were allowed in terms of immigration to go back and, you know, create that nesting for ourselves, right? Because we knew we wanted to come here, but like, it's not the easiest 
transition. So we went back for a couple of years and then finally moved with lock, stock and child <laughs> eight years ago. And I was saying to someone, I've never felt more at home than I do here. The last oh, that's week. wonderful. When you came over, did you think that you would go back into communications or what did you envision for yourself settling in Canada in terms of work? It was sort of a blank slate. And sometimes that sounds like a fantastic thing, but it it's also like a little like, you know, where do I start? So when I realized that the options available to us were sort of start from scratch, you know, either take on a job in communications that was way, way lower and climb back up those ranks again, which wasn't appealing to me to begin with, because I don't think I was ever a fan of being a part of large corporations and things like that. So that didn't feel appealing. So then the other option was like start at minimum wage, get into Starbucks, do whatever it needs, yeah. and then, you know, pay the taxes and get you move your way up, which was also like, gosh, I'm tired. Like I just had a baby. I don't need to do this now. Yeah. And so I was like, the creative path was probably what I was thinking of. So when I was younger, I was, I used to work in the field of chocolate. So I was like, maybe this is a good time to explore whether a return to that sort of creativity is what this takes. So then I went off down that path and you know, it didn't really go well for a couple of years. I worked with a chocolate company, like with a with a factory helping them make their chocolate and simultaneously built a business on the side of making my own sort of craft confections. But it was hard to scale that as a new person and not having a storefront and whatever it was. And so that was like a failed business, which teaches you so much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You have had many, many different incarnations, as I said, but one of the things that I think is really interesting that I haven't experienced as a native-born Canadian is the experience of coming to a new country. And I know that a lot of people struggle and, and are often in jobs. I mean, we know this just walking down the street that many of the people coming over are all overqualified for the job that they are forced to take. Was that sort of one of the experiences that you had that you felt you were going to have to take something that you were overqualified for? Or what did you feel? Yeah, I think I think at first it's just the people at that time were possibly not allowed to tell you straight away that without Canadian experience you wouldn't be able to get the job. They were not allowed to tell you that straight. That but that pretty much was what fed into it. And I think it's a fair thing in one sense. There is a learning curve. Whenever you enter a new market, you know, from a from a professional perspective, you have to understand it. You have to ease into it and people have to invest in you and teach you some of those things. And that takes a lot from organizations. And we did go to the interviews for the for the for the right sort of profiles of jobs, but we just sort of either never got called back or you got sent, you know, these long forms to fill where they took you out on the basis of whatever factors, right? Like how many years have you worked here or what your previous job was. So we just kept repeatedly coming up against blanks. And then eventually you're like, you gotta start somewhere. So at that point, my husband has a print technology background and then he went to some sort of like job fair or whatever and he he got a job with Toronto Star in the factory on the printing press and that's kind of how he started because he was like if I had to do if I have to do nothing and I have to put some of my technical skills to whatever this seems like a good prospect and then he started there and then he moved on and eventually he found a mentor and found a job so that's how he went down it but me I was like I don't want to do that I want to explore how I can be let's say, the master of my own time. And that was what drove me into figuring out options as an immigrant, if that makes sense. It's not the yeah, common... Yeah. Yeah. It's not yeah, the I common. always think it's common for immigrants to start their own businesses, no? 
No, I don't think so. I think there are there are some people who are perhaps if that is your heritage, like if there's a family sort of background of having done this or you were doing it in some other country potentially, yes. But if you're pretty much the same as many people who are like go to school, go to university, get a job and try to make that better, I don't think you you think about it. Not when you're rocking the boat so to speak on so many other fronts, right? So it's almost the path of least resistance is come find a job and get on with it. And what do you think that people like myself who have been born here and have never had to deal with this, what do you think that we need to understand about the experience? I think it's just being open to it being different than than yours and not expecting large batches of people to be the same, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. It's like, it's not that all you know, Indian people are a certain way and all, you know, Chinese people are a certain way. There's cliches, they exist for sure. Cliches exist about Canadians and, you know, being too nice and whatever. So the same thing exists, but it's like at the end, I think if you take it down to just being human and realizing that it is a hard journey because you you feel different, right? You walk into an environment where there's a lot of people who are different from you and you're either trying to blend in or you're trying to cluster whatever your coping mechanism is for, for that visible minority-ness, especially if you're from a place that, that your, your color and, and your physical attributes are different. You're obviously a vis- visible minority, right? So some people kind of are not necessarily comfortable with that. So I think connecting as human beings one-on-one is probably what I'd say you want to understand that people want most. I mean, I have personally witnessed your journey and the growth of your business. And, you know, I think when we first met maybe three years ago, I'm trying to remember now how long it's been. Yeah, You were still pretty well a solopreneur. I think you were a solopreneur. And, you know, your business has really grown now. And it's gone from you essentially doing the work yourself to you hiring people to you really having a vision for you. Describe to me what, where you feel your business is going. I'm curious. I think it's just a proof of concept to yourself process. As I started to do this, it was, I don't have a choice. So I have bills to pay. I don't want the jobs that are available to me. So I have to make some other option happen. And so I started with like, okay, I'll take a blog post here. I'll take a, you know, sales page there or whatever anyone wants me to write, because that was my key skill, having been a copywriter and a PR writer and a corporate writer and all of those things. That was my key skill. So I translated that. That also was hugely, you know, child-friendly, meaning I could watch my child while I took on these things. So that's where I started. And then I realized there was value to that. And eventually a year or two into it, I was like, okay, people were offering to pay me double because they were doing me a solid because I was charging way too little. And, you know, when I sent in a proposal for things, they would be some, someone would be like, do you want to add a contingency? Like, because they were surprised that this level of service was available at this price. And then I was like, okay, maybe I'm onto something good here. And then I started to make it a little bit bigger than that. So I started to solicit some, some conversations and be like, okay, how about I help you out and whatever. And I started to like talk to a few people. And then it became, you know, capacity. It's like you, you, you're full up more or less, or you're getting to full up. And then what do you want to do next, right? Like, do you want to hire people and have a team? Or do you want to get super organized about your time and do future bookings and that kind of stuff? And I decided that I wasn't the person who can do that. I like my time to flake out and go do my thing. I like not 
being heavily scheduled. And although I do work very hard and way more hours than I should, I don't like it being defined by I have to finish this at this time and stuff. So I was like, so the team is the way to go. And I've always been the kind of person who people like to listen to because I guess I'm a thinker who likes to share interesting ideas and I like to hear what other people have to say. So that's never been hard is finding people who who are willing to believe in the vision that I have. So I was like, that sounds like a good way to go. So that's when I started to put the word out with a with a few people about help. And originally I started with like, I was the front person and I got help only for like some of the support functions. And then eventually I met with more and more people who were who understood what I was trying to build here. And where's the business going? I think that we've come to terms with the fact that, that we're a pretty significant digital marketing consultancy. And we are able to offer a level of service to our audience, which is sought after by the people who, who understand it. So it took a long time for me to realize that value. I think it, yeah. Took, yeah. it took me a longer time than anyone else to realize that value. Essentially, at the beginning, you were undercharging for what you were delivering. Oh, yeah. We think in terms of like, you know, when you look at when you started and I mean, it was through necessity, but you started to grow pretty rapidly. What do you think that you struggled with in terms of beliefs? You know, there's always a belief that kind of holds us back or that we struggle with. What do you think you struggle with? I think the not good enough part of it. It's just, you know, there's so many examples there if you look for them of why things aren't going well and why, you know, like from the immigrant perspective, for example, you come here, you apply for the jobs, you don't get them, you feel like repeatedly rejected. And then you you start to feel potentially, you feed into all the parts of yourself that are not good enough, right? You're like, okay, this is not happening. This isn't quite the plan that I laid out for myself. How is this going to go? And And that's kind of what blocks you or tries to protect you, I guess even in the entrepreneurial journey, at least for me in the early years, it still is. It still is like, how can it possibly be that this is sustainable? Or how can just because you got one project doesn't mean you're going to get another? Or you know how the entrepreneurial journey is in the early days. I mean, it's not that every project hit your table immediately after the next, you know, the previous one was finished. So they, if there was any gap of time that was free, I had no ability to chill and take a break. I would just worry incessantly about, about like, where the next one would come from and stuff, right? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And this is an epidemic, as you know, amongst women. Yeah. Women don't feel like we're good enough. I mean, AKA imposter syndrome. So they over-deliver, they exhaust themselves. I mean, this is something that I think I see again and again and again. And, you know, in terms of marketing, because you're dealing with people and I think you're mostly focused in on women, or at least you have been lately, A lot, yeah. One part of our audience is women-owned businesses who are looking for like taking, they're looking to take marketing off their plate as much as possible because they're growing to the next level. We do service the corporate other end of the scale, which is like finance and fintech and, and things like that. But in those communication teams as well, you tend to have a lot of senior women. So yeah, women's a key demographic for us. Yeah, so you're talking to them an awful lot. You're talking to women who are creating their own business, running their own businesses. What do you think they struggle with in terms of mindset? You know, you're talking to them about their marketing. What do you think they struggle with? I think changing the status quo. It's just, this is the way it's been done for so long. These are the establishment guidelines, you know, sort of. um, And potentially the reason why they hire people like us is because they kind of want to change it. They want to do the cool well, I wouldn't say cool. They want to do the agile, next level, something 
disruptive kind of thing, but the frameworks that exist perhaps don't support that kind of thinking. No, and it's overwhelming. I mean, I can say as a solopreneur that it can be overwhelming. Social media, you and I have talked a lot about that. Obviously, part of what I do now is podcasts. When you talk to people about doing podcasts, having, by the way, just for anybody who doesn't know, you have the most fantastic podcast with Will. And it is the 4 a.m. report. It is, I think, number 20-something, 24, one of the top marketing podcasts here in Canada. So I'm really excited about that. And that was really quick. That was a quick ascent. It it was. It's been 20 episodes, actually, that have been, um, it's been amazing. And it took us so long to, to realize that this was a, this was a thing that we should do because the usual stuff that blocks everybody else blocks us as well, regardless of the fact that we are marketers. Like, do you really have to put another podcast out there? The world is full of shitty podcasts. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we really didn't do anything about it for a while, even though this was a medium that was open for a very long time. And, and then the other part of it links back to my sort of immigrant journey, which is that I don't necessarily sound like everybody else. And that's a little, like, I've certainly had conversations with the combination of my accent and the speed at which I speak when I'm highly excited means that sometimes people don't catch every word I say. And, you know, sometimes they lean forward and want to hear what I have to say again. And while none of that is a, is a problem, I worried whether it would, um, it would like come through in a, in a recorded medium. And I was like, not. Yeah, you were resistant. Yeah, I was quite resistant. Yeah, yeah Will, Will pushed me. Will, who's my Will Lamont, who's my co-host on the show, he pushed heavily on it because he's like, this is a good story. Like, this is like what keeps people up at night on the marketing front is a good story. We need to do this. And and then we're like, okay, yeah, we'll do it, baby steps. And so we said, um, let's begin by inviting a few of our friends and seeing whether they'd like you were one of the early guests we had on. Um, and we'll see if we can get an interest. And then we put out a call saying, you know, get in touch if you want to come on a podcast. And like since episode like three, we've never had to force any friends to come on. <laughs> but you know, the irony is that you were a radio announcer in India. So yeah. I mean, there's a kind of a classic imposter syndrome. I even have the background. I am a communication specialist. I know all about it, but I'm still judging myself on the fact that people might um, have trouble with my accent or not like how quickly I speak. And I think this is pretty common. I know that when you talked about starting a podcast with me, I too was like, well, do we really need to hear someone else? And this morning, just so we'd let everybody know this morning before we were talking, you were like, oh, I don't know, Megan, you sent me a little message. I don't know how great I am as a, as a guest, <laughs> which is like everybody's thought before they go on a podcast mostly. And, you know, particularly amongst women, they're like, well, am I really going to sound in, you know, very interesting on the podcast? Um, yeah. I, well, what if I don't know the answers? The right, exactly. What, what are the chances that you won't know the answer to something yeah. in your field that you worked at? 20 something years. <laughs> you know what I, this is like my golden rule that I learned from teaching actually. And I was talking to one of my clients about this the other day that uh, I always stink at least five or 10 minutes. Whenever I'm doing public speaking or whenever I'm teaching, I probably uh, can't find my footing for at least five or 10 minutes. And I think that's probably the rule for most people. And just, if you just kind of accept that, then and you can just live with that. You'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. But this is one of the reasons why, um, you know, I'm not a I'm not a fan of speaking in 
to large groups. And by large groups, I mean anything more than seven people um, because it affects my ability to do the eye contact thing with like specific people. And so to put my, you know, I've been trying to put myself out there a bit more and talk some more. And one of the things I've done is I've like, I won't tell a joke in the beginning <laughs> because there's no way I can pull it off. <laughs> I'm not yet warmed up. I'm a funny person, but I won't tell a joke in the beginning because it takes me 10 minutes to get into the audience thing. <laughs> yeah, it, it warmed them up. So, you know, digital marketing, I think, is intimidating for so many people. Um, this is where you are, I, I think, a real pioneer. I think you're, you're looking at the digital world in a new and innovative way. I think your international experience probably helps that, you know, this is not, this is an international world now. Um, you and I are, are doing this over the net. Um, I work with my clients exclusively on the net. I work with people around the world. Like it's, it's, we're obviously becoming more and more connected. So I think it's more relevant digital marketing maybe than ever before, but the old way of thinking, cause I always joke about how I started with paper. Like my first advertisement was in the paper. And so when I first came to social media, for example, I really couldn't envision how it was going to help me because I was really um, old fashioned in my thinking. Nobody had ever presented it to me. So when, you, when you're talking to people about the, the value of digital marketing, what do, what do people need to understand listening to this about digital marketing for their business? I think the main thing to think about is the fact that a change has happened in the medium that's all it is is like at one point we communicated in either a printed medium or like a a static you know billboard or whatever way and today that's changed and this has become like the pen of your times is the way i like to describe it it's like now everyone looks at things on their screens right it's pretty soon it's going to go to a place where you have you know glasses on your face and you're going to be looking at virtual reality more mainstream whatever it is you're going to have to work towards learning to communicate in that medium. That means different things for different people. Some people might be all over social, like, you know, showing parts of their voice, their personality, their lives, whatever works for you. For some other people, it's just very intelligent offering of information on their website so that people can make decisions about what they want to do. Whatever that looks like in terms of what that digital outcome or that digital marketing piece is, it, it, it comes back to being strategic. What are your goals? Who are you talking to? And what is the human experience that that person is, or uh, that person wants from you, right? So that's how in all digital media, we talk about user experience or UX. What is that? That is really understanding that, okay, Megan hopped onto our website. As soon as Megan comes here, what do we want her to see? Do we want her to click this button? Because that gives her what she wants. If she asks this question, is it answered on this page? It's trying to understand what you need and then deliver it to you intelligently right so that's what all i believe that's the next sort of thing that we're going to have to think about uh, in marketing um uniformly i think the big guys think about this and i think the agencies know how to deliver this but i think all of us have to start thinking about what is our customer want and how do we give it to them um in the most intuitive way so a, a level of emotional intelligence and a level of empathy, which is totally your wheelhouse of trying to understand those parts of 
people and then communicate with that. And then to your point from earlier about, you know, living all over the world, maybe my fascination for this kind of thing came from just being exposed to so many people and being exposed to so many cultures and the way that they did thing and things. And, you know, in some cases you blend in, in some cases you retain your, your, your wholeness, whatever it is, you, you become this version of yourself that understands many different people and behaviors and and then I tapped into that and then like you know at the end of it we're all pretty similar we all want this to be easy we want it to be convenient we want it to be quick whatever the 2019 things right and yeah you match those up and you get good communications so my my final question and I think this is one I probably know the answer to in some ways because I know you pretty well is what do you think in terms of a belief as you've grown your business you've grown you've you know put roots here in Canada, what belief do you think really guides you now? One that you might've changed or embraced? Um, I think it's a deep sort of faith in my creativity and the fact that exploring creative options and solutions has never failed me. Um, whether it's over the years helping me get the right types of jobs or, you know, giving me the, the sort of courage that it takes to to be that adventurer. Like I've moved over the world either because of my parents' choices or my own choices. I've pretty much, like I said, moved around a lot. And that that's a certain adventuring spirit. And, you know, it's kind of fun if you lean into it. Um, so, yeah, that that whole thing of like, you know, being creative is what's always helped me find my my highest value, whether that's professional or or, you know, personal experiences or whatever it is. So I keep leaning into that. Um, I do that a lot with the business as well. Like, I think we're pretty out there in terms of how we, how far we'll push the boundaries about what is possible and what's not, and that attracts people. And in some ways, it's a litmus test in the fact that if this is not your jam, then it also um, keeps us away from the kind of people that we might not enjoy working with. Yeah, and I, I really hope that when people listen to this and, and they've heard you, that they understand the value in really, in, in really embracing their creativity. Because in my mind, having always been attracted to creative entrepreneurs, I think that's something that naturally um, I've been, been really privileged to work with people like that, is that it's your creativity and that ability to imagine um, that creates that possibility. And possibility is really what inventiveness, innovation, all those wonderful things that we need in the 21st century desperately, as a matter of fact, right now, it, it all comes from your creativity. And I think what I love seeing in someone like you is actually someone who makes money and believes that they can make money from their creativity. Because that's what I feel like I'm always battling in terms of my work with people is to get them to really believe that you can have a wonderful and, 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 and financially successful life from creativity. So that is just, um, I love to see your progress. Well, thank you, Megan. So thank you, Miss Susan. Um, where can people find you, my friend? Um, so our website is cp.digital. And if you guys hop on um, and say hello, there's lots of free resources and, you know, funny blogs and our podcast with all our um you know, silliness. So hop on and have a listen. Oh, it's the best. I, I've got it on my iTunes. I download it every time you put it out and listen to it. So thank you very much. Thanks, Susan. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening today. If you want to connect with me on social media, I am on Facebook, Megan O'Neill Core Beliefs, or you can find me on the net at meganoneal.ca. 
As always, I would appreciate if you have the time to go to iTunes and give a five star because then we'll start attracting more and more people to come and listen with us. Thanks and have a great day.